Beautiful day. One of the days that, uh, of the year that uh, I considered a level set kind of day. It's a day where we kind of stop, reflect, go back, look backward, look forward, and set the ground again. Now, you may not feel that in the seat that you're in, but this is in my heart where I'm at. There's two Sundays a year, and this being one of them, and the next one will be in at the end of this month when I will share a message on the 30th of this month that I am already now, again, preparing my heart for. These are the level set. These are the times that I get real introspective, real reflective because of where God has led us, taken us, and what God is doing in us moving into the future. And today, you're going to get to hear a lot of stories in different forms. You have heard them, you will read them, you will experience them in different ways. And the book, if you grabbed one on your way in, if you didn't, feel free to get up right now and go back and grab one. And it should have all of the ballad information in there. But it's got stories. Stories of where God has worked and moved, and I think we all like stories. Uh, if you don't like stories, uh, you're, I think you're kind of the, the the different one. I mean, we binge watch Netflix. Do you have your own binge watching that you like? Do you have a certain show series? I want you to think about it right now. This is participation time. Think about what is your favorite binge watching show. All right, and then all at the same time on the count of three, you're going to tell me yours. Okay, and I'm going to listen if you got. Mine and yours, okay? Are you ready? Three, two, one. I heard The Office. I heard that one. That's one of mine. All right. The Office is uh, is absolutely one that you can just turn it on and keep watching. We like stories. The Bible is really almost nothing but stories. When you look at the Old Testament, 40% of the Old Testament is Old Testament narrative stories. You look at the New Testament, about half of the New Testament from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts is all story form, story after story uh, 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 that we can enter into and, and imagine with and dream about. Well, this is our book of stories, if you will. And this, again, only a few of them, but it's hopefully ones that will, again, help us all to see where maybe God is working on an individual level, not just an individual level, but a corporate level. Also, you'll notice in the back, as Randy mentioned earlier, there's our budget and there's uh, our, our leadership that we're proposing, deacons and trustees. And at any point during the service, take out that little purple ballot. You can be circling and indicating where God is leading you and indicate that and drop that in the offering basket a little bit later on. That's all the business. We'll move on into the message now. Uh, in John chapter 15 is where we'll be in just a moment. But when I talk about these stories today, please, I got to put this disclaimer on there. When I tell a story or you watch a story or you read a story, we're not trying to make a big deal out of the people in the stories, okay? It's not about us. We're a part of the story, but we're only a part of the story. God ultimately is the key part of every one of these stories. The Holy Spirit, what he does, Jesus and who he is, all a part of the stories that you're going to hear un unpack today. And we got to remember that because in Galatians chapter 5 verse 14 says, um, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of the, our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul said, listen, I'm not going to be arrogant. I'm not going to boast about what God's done in my life. I want to point everything to Jesus. So everything that we talk about today is hopefully pointing us closer and closer to Jesus. The stories that we tell about are going to be workings of the Spirit of God in us. You might say it in a metaphoric form. It's like the fruit 
of God's work in us, the manifestations of his work in our lives. And we want that. We encourage that. This entire series that we're in right now, Get Lit, is about seeing God manifest himself in our life through the fruits and through the workings and through the the outward motions of our life and the forward progress of our life. That's where we're at. That's what we're talking about. And 68 different times in the New Testament, there's this one Greek word, car, pos, appear. 68 times in the New Testament. Now that's the word for fruit. Jesus is the one who uses it most of the time, maybe 75, maybe 90% of the time. It's coming from the lips of Jesus. So he really uses this metaphor a lot. Paul uses it, but, but he gets it from Jesus. Jesus uses it in the Sermon on the Mount, his most popular message in all of the Bible. In fact, it's the only full-length message of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, it says this. It says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That will be, we'll refer to, uh, to, to the Sermon on the Mount in a moment, but this is one of those times where we get a command by God and that what we're to do, what are we to do? We're to bear fruit. It's supposed to come out of us. It's not supposed to stay in us. Uh, as, as, as Wade so eloquently said last week, we're not supposed to be constipated Christians. And so we're supposed to be bearing fruit. It's supposed to be coming out as a part of our life, the life that we live. But I love the, the next phrases that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't use it once, he uses it twice. And he's really not encouraging us to be judgmental here. L- listen to these words. He says it twice in, in, in Matthew 7. He said that we are to recognize them. You will recognize them by their fruits. You will look at people and you will recognize if they're a child of mine, if they're walking with me, if they're full of the Spirit, by the fruits in their life. Now, hold on just a moment. Some of y'all might be going, whoa, whoa, whoa. that puts us in the judgmental seat. That puts us into judging. Now, this is not judgmentalism here, where I look at you and I tell you where you're not right and, and, and I don't look at myself. Okay, there's all kinds of verses in the Bible that tell, tell us that we ought not do that. This is whenever we can become not judgmental, but we can become fruit inspectors. All right, we might look at people and we go, okay, you know what? That's not lining up with scripture. Okay, okay, where's the patience? Where's the kindness? Where's the love? Where's the joy? The the fruits of the spirit. We can look at it and go, hey, this is on target. This is not on target. So this is a part of what we're supposed to be as Christians, looking for fruit, bearing fruit, giving examples of fruit. Now, with all that being said, Matthew records this word karpos more than any other book in the New Testament, okay? But John, in John 15, I want you to turn there. John, in one chapter, uses it most of the time. In the most densely packaged chapter uh, in the Bible, using this word karpos eight times in, in verse 15, and really it's f- primarily found in the first part of the verse. So it becomes the metaphor that he uses, this fruit idea, this fruit coming out from us. And he says in John 15, verse 5, so skip down to chapter 15, in verse 5, and this is a verse that we read the very first Sunday when we kicked off the series on Easter Sunday. So it may sound familiar to you. Verse 5 says it like this. Abide in me, and I in you, and you will bear, excuse me, uh, this, this is verse 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, 
It is he who bears much fruit. So there's a real connected point here. You've got to be connected to God. The Spirit of God's got to be connected to you. You've got to be connected to the Spirit of God. And then what does he say? You will bear much fruit. Now, I have to admit, first time I read this, so maybe the 15th time I read this, I was reading it incorrectly. I envisioned that you will bear much fruit as you're going to have a bumper crop. You're going to have the fruits of the Spirit. You're going to have a lot of love in your life, okay? You're going to have a lot of patience. And there are times that we need an extra bumper crop of patience, right? But it's not actually that. The word is actually not a bumper crop kind of word. It's actually a word of long, continuous, ongoing, and occurring. So you will bear much fruit, but it's not in all in one season. You're going to bear much fruit throughout your life. It's a lifestyle of bearing fruit. It's a lifestyle of manifesting him. It's throughout your life. Anybody, listen, anybody can stand up right now and run a 100-yard dash. Right now, it may be slow, may not be fast, may not be pretty. But we can all run a 100-yard dash. I don't care who you are. But a marathon? Could we all just get up and run a marathon? Now, some of y'all in this room can because you're, 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 you're that kind of person. You can just run a marathon. But I couldn't. I couldn't run a marathon. I can't run a half marathon. Why? Because it takes training. It takes discipline. It takes a lot more to run a marathon than it is a 100-yard dash. I can give love. I can bear fruit in a 100-yard dash. But what God really wants is a lifestyle of bearing fruit ongoing, bearing much fruit, not stopping, ongoing throughout the course of my life. That's verse 5. Skip down to verse 16 now. Chapter 15, verse 16. We'll spend the lion's share of our time writing this verse. And you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And, not only do you bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. So he tells us here, he tells us that we're going to, in verse 5, bear much fruit. Speaks almost of a quantity. And then he says, Jesus goes on to say, he says, and then you're going to bear fruit. The fr- kind of fruit, what kind of fruit is it going to be? It's going to be the fruit that remains. It's going to be the fruit that abides. It's going to be the fruit that stays. It's going to be quality fruit. So here's what I want us to see is that when Jesus says you're going to bear fruit, it is not only quantity, it is also quality. God wants you and he, Jesus calls us all to go and to bear quality and quantity of fruit. That's the kind of life that he calls us to. So let us just bank on that one, set on that one just a moment. You just read verse 5. You just read verse 6 with with me. And as we just let those marinate, or verse 16 with me, as we let those marinate, let us understand that I am called by God. I am equipped by God to make more and better disciples. I am to make more and better disciples disciples. Say that with me. I am to make more and better disciples. He calls us to more quantity, go and bear much fruit, but he also calls us to quality, fruit that remains, better disciples. And I want us to kind of peel those two apart today. 
And understand that as a church, when we're talking about bearing fruit, we're talking about bearing quality and quantity, more and better, much fruit, but also fruit that abides on, remains on. And how does this happen? What's the secret formula? What's the secret sauce? The secret sauce is the Holy Spirit in us. When God is abiding in us, when God's working in us, he does this beautiful work in us that is incredible. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes we've learned to live life without Christ. We've learned as Christians even to learn to live live our life without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. We kind of got the Christian thing figured out. We know when not to cuss. We know when uh, it's okay to drink. Or we know who we can say and act like this by. And we know when to go to church. We're supposed to look like this, smell like this, and act like this. We've got kind of all, all this compartmentalized. He's calling us to a life, to a lifestyle of quality and quantity of fruit. And the reality is that some of us have learned to live life without the Holy Spirit. Just like churches can do church without the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer, very convicting statement. When he was talking about the early church versus the church of today, he said if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church of today, 95% of what we do would go on. No one would even know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. I don't want to be a church that we have figured out how to do church. We've figured out how to do Christians without the Holy Spirit. I want us to go back and revisit and get make sure we are having that quality and quantity that we are being and we are making more and better disciples. And these two are not opposed to one another. Let's break this apart because there's two realities about fruitful living. Again, we're not just bumper crop today, not just going to go on a mission trip today, not just going to go to church camp next week, and we're going to get it all good and holy. What about for a lifetime? What would that look like? Let's talk about it. Number one is God, we need to understand this, that God chooses people to show people. God chooses you. He chooses me, but he doesn't just choose us to choose us and to clean us up on the outside. He chooses us so that we might go and show people. Let let, let me show you this in verse verse, uh, 16 again. Well, before you go to verse 16, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says it like this, that he chose us before the foundation of the world. Now, I, I want us to just, I want you to just think about the word chose, to choose, to pick out of a, a lineup, to, to, out of all the people in the world, out of all the complexities of the world, out of that God would literally reach into time and space and, and pick Mike McDaniel? What is that? How in the world could the God of the universe do that? That is incredible grace. There's nothing more beautiful about God than to know that he chose me, that he chose you. So let that sink in. Let's never get over the fact that it was God who chose us. I didn't wake up one morning and say, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus 
Jesus prompted, he wooed, he, he convicted, he drew me closer to him. And, and then at that point, I respond to him and I receive him. And we enter into this beautiful marriage, this beautiful relationship. But it didn't start with me, it started with him. So don't get over that. Verse 16 now. Jesus emphasizes what Paul says in, verse, in Ephesians just a few moments ago. This is what he said in verse 16. You did not choose me, but. A little connector word there, right? Conjunction, joining the two thoughts together. But I chose you. Now, the, th- the, the problem with the English language is it doesn't give you the emphatic nature of the Greek language. It just is black ink on white paper. It's I didn't choose, you didn't choose me, I chose you. It's that simple. It's that vanilla. Until you read it in the Greek and you read that the word Allah is the word for but there, which is the strongest conjunction word for any but word to be translated from the Greek language. And whenever you look at that word and what he's really saying is this, you didn't choose me. But I, I chose you. I chose you. I got excited about you. Now, a lot of people get caught up in the doctrines of choice and election and predestination, and they get lost up in, in this word chose. And I just, I didn't want to get lost in the theology. I want to get lost in the wonder. I want to get lost in the beauty and the grace that God would choose me, that God would pick me out of the population. God would pick you out. Listen, beautiful words there. Powerful, convicting words there that God would choose you. That he, in his own sovereign plan, see, when God chooses me, he gives me value. Now just let that It's not my 401k that makes me valuable. It's not what I have in the bank. It's not the car that I drive, the house that I live in, the equity that I have in my home. It's not that that gives me value. It's not the people, the number of people that report up to the food chain to me. That doesn't give me value. What gives me value is that the God of the universe would choose me. And he knows everything about me. Would you let that excite something inside of you? Wake up something inside of you to know that God chose you. It gives you value, but, but it, it doesn't end there. He also chose us for something. He chose us to give us a purpose. You go on and you keep reading verse 16. And it, it goes on and it says, I chose you and appointed you. He gives us a purpose. He gives us a plan. He, he gives us a destiny. He gives us the reason to live. I chose you, but I chose you and I appointed you. I appointed you to do what? I appointed you to go and to bear fruit. So God actually calls us into this world and calls us out into this world. And he, he, yes, he makes us his child, but he makes us his child so that we can go and help other people become his children. He chooses us. To show people. He chooses people to show people. God chooses people to show people. He calls people to send people. He saves people to save people. He calls us out for this very reason. Whenever you go look at Luke 24, which is the very first passage that we read in this series after the resurrection of Christ, he talks about that, hey, I'm going to go away and I promise I'm going to send to you, 
I'm going to send to you a promise of the Father. And what the promises of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father is going to do is He's going to clothe you in power. He's going to embrace you in power. In Ephesians, it talks about not being drunk with wine, but being full of the Spirit. So from the inside out, the Spirit of God wraps Himself around me, clothes me with power. You say, yeah, God, give me that power. Why does He give you the power? So you just live a more powerful life? No. It's the verse prior to that, when he talks about it in verse 47, he says that that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in my name to all the nations. So I come back to the fact that God chooses us so that we can show other people who he is. And so let us understand that when he calls us to make more fruit, he calls us to be better at making fruit, he's doing that so that we can reach more people for him. Say, I want to be chosen by God, but I don't want to be appointed by God. Some people, I want to be clothed in power, but I don't want to be sent to the nations. I want the Holy Spirit in my home, but I don't want him to send me into the neighborhood. We, we get it all wrong. You cannot separate these two appointments of God. He chose us. He appointed us to go and bear fruit. Two years ago in a strategy meeting just like this, we sat in this room and we talked about we're going to allocate resources, we're going to put personnel, we're, we're going to hire a, 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 a lady that has incredible years of experience across five different states. She has been, for a number of years, she has been uh, teaching in special needs and we're going to bring her on for 22 years. She's been teaching in the public schools special needs and we're going to start a special needs ministry. We didn't know where that was going. We just knew that it was going to be labor-intensive. We knew it was going to be messy. We knew it was going to be complex. But we did not realize that this, at this time now, we have 20 families with special needs that are a part of our church. And before coming to Grace Point, eight of them were not in a church anywhere. Guys, we come to strategy meetings like this because we get a vision from God. We get a direction from God that we need to go make more disciples. Where are we going to make them? Well, maybe there's a need out there. Maybe there's a pocket. Maybe there's some blue water out there that we can swim in, that we can go to. And maybe there's a special needs. And there's only a handful of churches out there that have special needs programs. But because we in here got behind it, we're seeing beautiful fruit from it. Not only... That, we have 18 volunteers stepping up, making that world a difference. We also see another need out there. So I'm going to introduce you to Tyler Coffee. I don't really need to introduce Tyler Coffee to you because he's been in our church for a lot of years. But we're proposing today that we'd like to make him a pastor of our middle school ministry. We don't have a middle school ministry. They're just kind of all mixed in with the junior high and the senior high. But we're gonna, we want to carve off a, a, a niche there because we realize that there's developmental things. We realize there's opportunities there. And we also realize that there's nearly 2,835, uh, two, uh, 2, to be exact, middle schoolers in the Bentonville School District alone. Now, it's not Rogers. It's not Pea Ridge. That's just in that age frame. Alone. So let's just talk about Bentonville. And if the national, or excuse me, if the uh, Northwest Arkansas average holds true among middle schoolers as it does among adults, that 38% of Northwest Arkansas does not have a church home, that means to tell, that tells me this, that there's over 1,077 middle school age kid right now who will not be in church today, not be in church next Sunday, that don't have a mother and father that will take them to church. What if we could have a ministry to middle schoolers that would reach 1,000, maybe more people than are going to be in this room? Wouldn't it be awesome to do that? Why are we doing that? Because God calls us to bear fruit. More fruit. More fruit. 
more fruit. We put a, a sign out in the, in, in the gallery area last year and had a vision that God would, that would raise up 508 people that we would touch their lives with the gospel of Christ. 58 people this past year have we been able to reach with the gospel. We're rejoicing over every single one of those. But what's it going to take to get to 508 people? Lights turned on. When we celebrate, this past week we turned on two additional lights just because they made decisions to follow Christ. Some in, 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 in South Asia from our team that just returned. And last year, if you were here on Strategy Meeting Day, we passed out this little card. It said, I'm alive for five. We asked you to put down names of people on your, your, your alive for five card. Maybe you did it. I've kept mine. I've kept it in my Bible all year long. I prayed for all my alive for five by name on a very consistent basis. But I hate to tell you this today. I have zero of them that have come to know Christ over the past year. Now, have I shared with them a couple of times? Yes, with a couple of them but not all of them. And I want to tell you today that I'm standing before you as a pastor who is deeply disturbed about his own lack of sharing the gospel with people. This past year, I didn't share the gospel with enough people. I don't know what enough is, but enough is not certainly what I did. It takes one, it takes about eight times of sharing the gospel with somebody to see one person come to faith in Christ. And sad to say, I led one person personally to faith in Christ over this past year. I'm embarrassed to tell you that. But I'm also telling you that as a form of accountability that this next year, that will not be the case. God willing, I'm going to be out and I'm going to be sowing and I'm going to be sharing and I'm going to be showing and sharing Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. And you know what? It may not be five. It may just be one. But I'm going to be doing it as many times as I can. And I'm going to ask God that he'll give me a gospel conversation, one gospel conversation every day. That's going to be my prayer. Give me one gospel conversation every day for 365 days. What would God do if every one of us just say one, not five, one, one, just one. Give me my one. And the great thing about this is I want us to be a part of a movement of God where God is raising up everyone who will say, God, give me one person that I can sow seeds in, that I can bear fruit in, that I can see the gospel presented in. This is not something that we're, it's just among us. There's a number of churches that are joining in this. Watch this video real quickly. Numbers. We live by numbers. We track and count and measure everything. And sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones. But it's the single digits that make the difference. The Bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one. Yeah, heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know Jesus. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one co-worker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before. But it all starts with one. I've got my one. And now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? So take out this card if it's in your, uh, in your guide or in your strategy meeting book when you came in. This guide this has a bookmarker for you. For the next 30 days, I'm going to ask you to pray for your one. Whoever your one is, 
begin asking God, who is the one, who's the one that you want me to share the gospel with? Uh, maybe you're going to share the gospel with eight different people, a hundred different people before you see that one saved, but you're going to start praying for that one who is far from God. And there's verses every day. And on the 14th of July, I'm going to come back and share a message about where are we going to go with this and where's God going to lead us? I don't know, but if we'll all commit to one, Sharing the gospel, one is what Jesus said, the 90 and 9, the, the, the shepherd left the 90 and 9, and he went after the one. One is worth it. It was one sinner who repents that causes all of heaven to erupt in joy in Luke chapter 15, verse 7. One. Will you commit to one? God showed me a parable this past week that I almost, I don't have time to develop it, but I almost changed my entire message out of conviction of my own failure to share the gospel this year. It's in Matthew chapter 21. He tells the parable of a man who's given a, who's given a, a field, uh, of farmers who were given field and they were to, to raise up a harvest. And they, they, didn't. they didn't. They neglected the work. And so the farmer comes back and this is what he says, what if... Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God is taken away from you and given to a pro people producing fruit. What got me about that was what if God has given me northwest Arkansas, planted me here, planted you here, planted us here, and we're all here together and we call this Grace Point home and we're sent out into the world. We live sin every week. So how, how am I supposed to live sin? So if I stay in my holy little hole, I don't share the gospel, what's God going to do? Is he going to take my field away and he's going to give it to somebody else? Because I'm not faithful to share with him. God forbid. I want to be a faithful one who is helping to realize that God chose me to show other people who he was. Number two, God prunes us. God prunes people to grow people. We, we are about growing more disciples. We are about quantity. One at a time, one at a time, one at a time. But we're also about seeing better disciples. Chapter 15, verse 16, it says, not only have I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, but that your fruit should abide. That your fruit hangs out, stays there, keeps on. In the King James Version, if you have that version, it says it would remain. It doesn't end. So what I don't want to end is Galatians chapter 6, verse 22 and verse 23. I don't want, say it with me, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Say it with me, love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there's no law. You can't go wrong. You, do, you get these in your life, you can't go wrong with them. There's no law against them. We've already covered those first ones in italics. Next week, we're going to deal with faithfulness and gentleness. If we see those fruits coming out of us, that will be quality fruit. More and better disciples. That will make us better. That's why in Philippians chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, he tells us that there will be fruit of righteousness coming out of us. This fruit of righteousness is this better life, the, the life that God calls us to live. Verse 2, how does he get us there? John chapter 15, verse 2, he gets us there because every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit. Now I want to focus on this one. 
fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. See, Jesus is about more and better disciples. And the way he makes more disciples may be by pruning you and me. Pruning, what is that? Cutting, violently cutting something that may look healthy, something that may look okay, but he cuts it back. There's a violent act in there. There's got to be pain in there sometimes. There's discomfort in there. God can move us outside of our comfort zones as a part of the prune. There's so many ways that he can prune us. I could list off 101 ways. But I just want to say that God's going to move us outside of our comfort zone if we're going to make more and better disciples. He's going to move the whole family on a Friday night a couple of weeks ago when they came up here with their kids, Stella, Graham, and Edie, and they worked among our foster parents night out and loved on them. I love the story about how they told their kids they're going to come up and they're going to love on foster children. What's a foster child? A foster child is a child that doesn't have a home. I met with one of the caseworkers that's out in a part of our church after the, between gatherings, and she said there are no opened homes for teenagers in Benton County. And they're having to ship all teenagers to Little Rock into homes, put them into homes. It's a, it's a, it's a troubling thing. Well, the, the whole family as a whole were up here serving. And what, what do you think those kids were getting out of that experience? As they're doing the, the international language of play, they're learning that these kids, they can love on them, they can be normal with them. That changed their life, it told, changed their story. I promise you, things like this is a part of a pruning when you get outside of your comfort zone. I think about Elizabeth Sullivan. Elizabeth has gone two times in three months to work with refugees in Athens, Greece. I asked her this past week, I said, do you have any regrets? I mean, you were gone one Christmas. You She went over Christmas her first time last Christmas and she spent time over there without her family. Trent, her husband, the children all got on board, said, yes, you can go. But do you think that moved her outside of her comfort zone? Absolutely. Do you think that was uncomfortable? Absolutely. Do you think it was uncomfortable for the family to break traditions? Absolutely. It was uncomfortable, uncomfortable, uncomfortable. I said, do you have any regrets? She said three times in one text, no regrets, no regrets, no regrets. But the story goes on from there. Because anytime anybody goes on one of our global adventures, they go through training, they go through preparation, cross-cultural, they learn how to share their God story, they learn how to share the gospel. It's a part of the preparation of sending people out. And this is one of the things I've learned. When we get ready to do great things for God, we make ourselves available, He does great things in us. And these global adventures kind of begin to do that to people, as it did to Elizabeth. So she tells her son, John, why she's going. Because he's curious to know why you're going. And she says, I'm going to share the gospel with people who don't never heard of Jesus. She comes back from her first trip, tells her kids all about the trip. John, her son, listen, wanted to know more for his own good. She ends up, listen, taking the training that she got from her trip, the training that she got to go share the gospel internationally, she ends up leading her own son to the Lord after coming back from a global adventure. That is an awesome God story. How God will do different things to pull different things together to to do this. And on the second time she goes to Greece, her son by Trent was being baptized on that very day that she was commissioned to go out. This is what I'm saying. God wants to do incredible things 
in growing more and better disciples if we will let him prune us. I also want to share with you a story of the Hectors and what God has done in their life as they have said yes to God about growing more and better disciples and using their home as the means, the incubator, the laboratory for doing just that. Watch this video. I never, like, knew what a real family felt like. There is a place in this family for Jordan. When I have a bad day, I want to come home to them. We're going to love her no matter what. My mom died when I was nine months old, and my dad turned into an alcoholic, so I went to live with my great-grandma. When I was in sixth grade, my life turned around because I just started making bad decisions. I started getting into drugs and alcohol. Everything just kind of went downhill from there. When I was 14, I got into this relationship. It was really toxic. Things got abusive. When it ended, like I just thought everything was, it was the end of the world. I got violent with everyone. I started getting suspended from school. My mom couldn't take care of me anymore, so I came into foster care. I went to a foster family that was in Farmington. I got kicked out of there. They called 15 people to see if anybody would take me. And because of my past, everybody said no. In May of 2016, we started the process to open up as a foster and adoptive home. Three days before Christmas, we opened up. New Year's Day is when we welcomed our first kiddo. After about a month, she left and went to be in a home with her and her brothers. And then on February the 13th, we had a seven-year-old girl and a five-year-old girl come to our house. They were at our house for a month. It just became really difficult on all of us to the <coughs> point where we were concerned about our own children. And it was a tough day to make that call. After they left, we decided we probably needed a break to figure things out. So we went to an emergency respite status. On April 21st, we got a call from Madison County DHS asking if we would take emergency weekend placement of a teenage girl. I tried to find any reason I could to say no. And I couldn't find a reason. So about seven o'clock on a Friday night, a Madison County DHS car pulls into our driveway with a teenager who, who did not want to be at our house. I hated my life for the first night. We knew it was just for the weekend. And so, gosh, I think on Saturday we went to Crystal Bridges. I felt like God was tugging at my heart. And then Sunday, we went to church, and we're driving home, and I'm really feeling feeling the nudge then. I looked over at Camille, and I was like, you want to keep this one? He was like, do you want, do you do want her to stay? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, actually, I do. You know, that Sunday, we all sat down, and I didn't know what we were going to talk about, and then they both asked me if I wanted to stay. All along, I really felt like God was putting into my life the people that could help me know how to be a mom to a teenage girl. We knew that the next step 
would be adoption. And her caseworker had been talking to us about whether we would be willing to adopt her. There is a place in this family for Jordan. If she wants to stay, we want her to stay. I never like knew what a real family felt like. Now I have that. The judge said that it was the fullest the courtroom's ever been on an adoption. It just showed me how much people care about me. When Jordan came to our house, her caseworker told me that Jordan had had mentioned recently that she she knew that she needed God in her life. I was tired of feeling down. Everybody around me was telling me that God was the answer. Now, life is just it's bright and joyful. Yeah, I still have my down days, but I know that's not going to be my forever anymore. Since she gave her heart to Christ, I've seen her do things that she didn't do before that I know require her to step out of her comfort zone and be brave. Another Wednesday after that, Jordan came home from youth group and handed me off a note. In the note, she had really kind of poured out her heart a little bit, and then at the end of the note. That's when she asked if she, uh, you would baptize her. That's right. She baptized me. I was crying, like, underwater and all that. I was like, this is so cool. My whole family was there, and it was so exciting. If I hadn't came into foster care, I never would have made it to them. I know that my family, no matter what, is going to lift me up. There's so much in that story to unpack. Uh, maybe about six years ago, seven, maybe, I don't know, eight years ago. God led us to zero like a laser. Our local ministry, there's a lot of other things we could do out there. We could do homeless shelters. We could do food pantries. We could do closed closets. But no, no, no. We're going to focus on the orphans. We're going to focus on fosters. And our families were already in our church, already behind it. We were just getting on with them where they're going. And then we've encouraged and we've worked with DHS. We are best friends with DHS. They love Grace Point Church. The judge of Benton County told me just the other day, he said, I wish there were more churches like Grace Point. Well, I don't, not about us. It's about what God is doing through us, bearing more and better disciples, more and better fruit. And it's going to be people like this, and it's not going to be easy. You heard in there, there were times that they closed their home, feared at times for their safety. I promise you, going on a global adventure, I promise you sometimes educating a classroom, taking on uh, being a, a mentor for somebody, it's not going to be easy. It's going to require tons of work. But man, the fruit that's beautiful that comes out of that and life change that comes out of that, I promise you there's nothing that beats that. Nothing that beats that. I want to pray for us that God would awaken us today. Like maybe we haven't ever been awakened before. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for where we have fallen asleep on you. Where we won't let you prune us, use us. He 
you prune us to use us to make us more fruitful. And God, that requires pain and friction and discomfort and stepping outside. But Lord, if we can be more fruitful with lasting fruit, then God, do what you need to do. And Father, I pray in this room that you would awaken us today. Pour out your spirit upon us that our church would never be the same old church. That we would look at each other and see so much fruit being born and shared and grown and reproduced in others, Lord, that there's no mistaking that you're at work here, now, and into the future. God, do your work in us right here, right now. In Jesus' name, we Would you stand and would you sing with us right now?